Hello there, welcome to the Suffolk Money podcast supported by Kingsfleet Wealth. If you've been listening to other episodes of the podcast, then you'll understand that whilst we call it the Suffolk Money podcast, it's really about organisations, people and places in Suffolk. Today's episode was quite a difficult one to record. Um, This was a conversation with Mandy Small. And in this, we deal with a very difficult subject of suicide and how Mandy's husband, Chris, took his own life after serving in the military and after a particularly difficult time of service over in Afghanistan. However, although that story is difficult, the positives that have come out of it, and in particular, um, Mandy and Chris's son, Jamie, known as Jay, Uh, And the things that Jay has been able to do to raise awareness, to address issues of bullying, uh, to make people aware of not only the issues of suicide and mental health, but also some of the solutions and charities that are available to support it. So it's quite hard listen at times, but please um, listen to Mandy Small as she talks through the experiences of her life, the book, that Mandy and Jay have written and the positive way in which Jay has dealt with this as a 14-year-old lad and is now making uh, his presence felt locally by raising money and raising awareness of these really important issues. Mandy, is it okay just to start at the very top level and just say, tell us a bit about the book? Yeah, that's, um, so it's called Living Our Lives, and it's all about how, we, how we've sort of rebuilt our lives after we lost my husband, Jay's dad, um, Chris, to suicide. And it, it focuses on the, the positives that we've taken from it and how much Jay's achieved through what he's done. Jay's very passionate about raising awareness about suicide and mental health. So... The book is very much around what Jay's done in the nearly six years since we lost Chris. We ought to just um, clarify how old Jay is currently. Uh, So he's just turned 14. So he's been dealing with something that uh, occurred when he was, what, eight years old? Yeah, he he was eight and a half. So it's, and, you know, I, I touch on it in the book that, the way he's dealt with it I think is a lesson to an awful lot of adults because it's it's something that nobody understands really just the way he's I don't know just you know he's still so proud of his dad his dad served for the country for 21 years and and he fights tooth and nail to make sure that people remember that you know he's, he's a little inspiration yeah, he, he absolutely is, and um, we'll we'll come back on to some of the things that that Jay has been doing um, as we progress. But uh, unfortunately, what it does mean is really to understand the situation fully. We ought to just go back and understand something of Chris and um, the things that Chris went through uh, uh, to to you know get to where things were. So, um, how how did you meet Chris? Let's let's start with that. Oh, that's the story. Um, so oh, we, we were both deployed to Iraq in 2004 because I was serving in the Air Force, he was serving in the Army. And um, we met on the main gate because I wouldn't let his convoy through. Um, sure. 
and from, from that point we started talking and I think we both thought it was going to be a deployment romance and then when we I got back to the UK first when he came back we stayed in touch and two years later we got married so so for, so for those of us and I'm not a so, uh, I don't have any so military bank. A deployment romance, I'm assuming, is just it happens while you're away and then it all dissipates afterwards. Yeah, basically a holiday romance that just goes on for a few more months. <laughs> yeah, in slightly more different circumstances too. Um, so, um, so, but it wasn't like that. You, um, you, you, you kept together and you were married within two years, you say? Yeah, and then Jamie arrived two years after that. Having that forces lifestyle was that an issue in terms of you were you moving around or were you able to be fairly settled? Um, well, to start with, I think for about the first year of the marriage, I was based in Norfolk at Marham, and Chris was based in Canterbury, so that was quite tricky because I was a permanent night worker. So we, it was you know you grab weekends here and there. He would come home, um, and then actually. Chris got posted to Woodbridge, which made life a lot easier. Um, and we saw uh, Jay had arrived by then, so we saw him every day. But then, I mean, Chris went off to Afghanistan for six months when Jay was only eight days old, which was quite a trauma. But thank God for my parents, who actually live in Suffolk as well. So we moved in with them for five months. I mean, it, it was tricky, definitely tricky. But then Chris got posted to Germany. Um, which was going to be ridiculous trying to maintain a relationship like that. So I actually left the Air Force at that point, and then we all went over as a family. Yeah, which again, I'm sure being in Germany in itself must have had a few different challenges. Very much so, especially the language. I wish I'd listened at school. <laughs> you can't ask me about German, and uh, I got an ungraded in my uh, German O-level as they had in my day. So, yeah, I think I would have um, got pretty much the same if I'd taken it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm still the butt of jokes from my school friends about that one. But anyway, there we go. Um, yeah, so that um, so that again, that was a big change for you to give up your service career um, to to try and make everything work. It's a massive change, and I think it sometimes gets forgotten because you know when you when you marry into the forces it's accepted that probably 90% of the time you, you follow your partner, whether that's your husband or wife, around the country, around the world. I mean, some people obviously buy their own properties and then sort of have that home base. But I struggled because I, I felt that I'd lost my identity. Mm. It's, and that was a big thing for me. I'd gone from Corporal Small to either Chris's wife or Jay's mum. I'm not complaining about it, far from complaining about it. We give up a lot, but we do it to keep our families together. So Germany was the, the sort of the outcome with that, um, of you then leaving the Air Force. Um, so how long were you in Germany for? Uh, just under four years. I mean, there, there's worse places to move to, definitely. I absolutely loved it out there. And it was, um, so Jay lived there from 18 months old to just over five and you know his German teacher loved him because he must have been like a sponge and just taking everything in it's a different world isn't it living in a different country but a country that shares so much of our history I mean I loved it I go back in a shop 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, with all the challenges from a language perspective, I suppose, which is outside the base or outside the, uh, the camp where you are, um, yeah, beyond that, I guess you're also still, you have the forces community around you, I would have thought. Yeah, very much so. I mean, we all lived outside the wire, but it was still so outside the camp, but it, it was still very much a community. You know, we had where we lived, we had our own estate and it was just British. But I mean, the locals were absolutely fantastic. Their English was better than my English. So <laughs> and I found as long as you made an effort to speak German, which they really appreciated, but then you got on so well with them and they, they loved having us around. And how was Chris during all of this, um, during this um, this time of you know, perhaps a little bit of moving around, but obviously you were around, you were all together as a family? Um, I mean, from, from the moment I met him, you know, Chris was, he was funny, he was cheeky, always had that smile lurking close to the surface. I mean, he was a prime example that just because someone smiles, it doesn't mean everything's okay. There was issues before his last tour of Afghan. There was issues because, I mean, he deployed all over the world. He struggled with nightmares about Bosnia. Just an example, and Bosnia sort of was the one place he wouldn't really discuss with me. Um, but we used to talk things through and he used to calm down and would bring him back down to, I say normal, but normal for Chris. Um, and it it was fine. He dealt with it well. Because in my mind, he was he already had his PTSD from previous deployments. Right. But because he was still talking, which obviously is the most the best thing you can do when you're suffering, then mm. he seemed to be all right. And it's so you know, we, we had a good life in Germany. It's every day Chris was home five minutes after he finished work, which was unheard of in the UK. Um and you know, we were both able to spend I wasn't working out there, so Jay wasn't in school, so I had some amazing time with him which I wouldn't have had in the UK but yeah it, we had our ups and downs like any marriage and it's but, mm. but things were okay previous to that final tour of Afghan. I'm just interested in what you're saying before we move on to that 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 tour of Afghanistan um I'm, I'm really interested in this situation where partners or spouses of military people effectively have to almost become a counsellor or be a counsellor or listen to to what they're hearing from their partner. Um, I don't know if ours was different because I'd served. Chris knew that I wasn't daft and I knew exactly what went on sort of in places like Iraq and sometimes it's easier and I find this at work it's easier for a veteran to talk to another veteran because we tend to get it although we may not have been through the same experience we get it and I'm the same sometimes I struggle my best friend we've, we've been best mates for 33 years now but I struggle to tell her some of the things I went through when I was serving it's mind-blowing to someone that hasn't been there and that whereas to us it's normal we should just clarify when you refer to your work what what you mean by that and we'll, then we'll come back to the situation with Chris. Okay, so I work as a peer support worker um, with a 
veterans charity, Walking with the Wounded. And also through that role, I work the high intensity service, which is very new and it's all part of Op Courage, which is rolling out over the UK at the moment. So it's when veteran, it's veterans mental health service. So when veterans are reaching crisis, um, so we give them peer support just over the phone and then they have a veterans mental health clinician who does face-to-face -face therapy with them. So there is help. Sounds to me from what you're saying, there is help now, but maybe there wasn't always the help available that perhaps now we're just understanding the damage that yes. has resulted. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's, and, a, and stigma as well but we'll come on to stigma yeah 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 no that's no, absolutely right i'm sure um so let's move into this this period of you're in germany where what what happened following that um so chris deployed to afghan in 2011 um i think it was the it was the september because jay was just starting in reception um and he was so excited to go back. You know, Chris was army barmy the whole way through. And it's, I always knew I came second to the army. Um, but, you know, he, I knew he would come back. He always used to tell me, whatever happens, I will come home to you. Um, so he, he went off. And to start with, it was just like every other deployment. You know, he was writing Bluey's home to us. Um, I was getting Jay to write, well, Jay was dictating and I was writing letters to daddy <laughs> daily and Chris would phone as often as he could, but that, that started to change. So they come home for two weeks at some point during their tour um, and just have two weeks. It's R&R, &R, so rest and relaxation, apparently. Um, but the phone, phone calls started to get more and more rare and, and shorter. He would speak to Jay and then speak to me for maybe a minute and then say he had to go. So he came home on his R&R &R and I knew he wasn't right, but I just tried to give him a, a relax in two weeks and let him sleep, let him have a catalogue, do whatever he wanted to do, make it all about him. Um, and that continued when he went back to Afghan and, you know, letters were very very sparse although we kept up the communication from our end and welfare packages which i'm sure all the lads enjoyed but when he came home you know we were so excited jay jay was bouncing off the walls because daddy's coming home i was excited to see chris six months is a long time but the moment he got off that coach and i saw him look at jay and biggest smile on his face when he saw jay but when I looked into his eyes, there was nothing, absolutely nothing. And I knew the man that had returned from Afghan wasn't the man that had left mm. to go seven, sort of six, seven months previous. But I mean, in all honesty, I had no idea how much our life was going to change. My Chris is still somewhere out in Afghan. The Chris that came home was so closed off. I found out things that he went through out there since he died you know i i had no idea what he'd actually been through but my chris would have maybe not told me everything but he would have opened up to me mm -hmm. and but 
you know, we still saw, we saw glimmers of him. He opened that door slightly, sort of opened it enough so that we knew he was still there. Mm. And I, th- I think the big thing to remember is that, you know, PTSD trauma, it's an illness. It's a brain injury. Mm. And it, there, there are a lot of things Chris did between coming home from Afghan and when he died that, you know, they weren't right. And I think a lot of people know that they weren't right. But also, I'm not excusing his behaviour in any shape or mm. form, but there are symptoms of PTSD. Subsequently, were um, those that he was with, were they aware that something was different with him? Or were they just having to deal with their own trauma in their own way that you just can't really be aware of other people? I think, yeah, and I think a lot of people were, I mean, it was a horrendous tour that they had, and I think a lot of people were dealing with their own baggage, but also Chris was very, it was important how other people looked at him, so if we went out to a messenger, if we went out to a function, he was back to, you know, Jack the lad, and, but it wasn't, I mean, a few people mentioned to me that he wasn't the Chris they knew, but he covered things. He covered things by getting drunk with the lads, so mm. that was seen as normal. It was only those closest, I think, to myself and Jane that saw how much Chris had changed, because mm. they saw the way it was affecting us. And of course, that's really where the story goes, isn't it? Because what he was like outside the home and what he was like inside the home were two different individuals, yeah. in a way. Yeah, he was like old Chris and new Chris, and it's. And and that's the same with a lot of people, I think. They still put on this sort of show to the outside world. I mean, even when when we separated, you know, people were surprised and they're like, you know, but you're a perfect couple, you're so loved up. Yeah, we probably just need to visit that painful period of your life, really. Um, just to understand the difference that that tour made to Chris. Yeah, I mean life changed a lot when he came home and I mean a prime example is Jay turned four just after Chris returned home and as a four-year-old he learned to walk on eggshells around daddy because you didn't know which Chris you were going to get temper wise the slightest thing could set him off that that's the thing that shows what our life was like more than anything was the fact without me having to say anything to Jay, he knew that he had to be careful around it. I mean, Chris would have never ever hurt Jay, mm. but you know, it's it's not always physical, is it? If, if you continuously shouting at someone and they've done nothing wrong, then that can be just as damaging. Mm. But you know, we we carried on, and. I've always been a fighter. I was determined I would get Chris through this. Um, and ironically, he took redundancy um, from the army at his 21-year point so that we could have a normal family life. We settled in just outside Durham because um, we'd found a lovely house there. We had friends in the same village that actually we'd been in Germany with. And I think myself and Jay lived there for a year but that that was really when Chris came out of the forces. I think he, he felt like he'd lost his support network. Mm. And what, although you still keep in touch, 
you're not with these people day in day out um I knew things were going downhill but I've like I never know when to quit the best I mean the best way to describe it is how he went with civic jobs he always worked he was a trained chef so he always had a job but he didn't stick at any one particular job so every few months he would come home and say right I've quit and then we would have to go through the same process again um drinking wise he would think nothing of coming home from work at nine o'clock at night and drinking a whole slab of lager and then getting up and going to work at seven o'clock the next morning which to me is I wouldn't be able to function no. personally which shows how much he was drinking because that was well within his limit mm. um so that, I mean that was the social side of it but behind closed doors you know he became very to start with mentally abusive towards me um I think in some ways he he was scared that I was going to leave and that's where the mental abuse came from mm. he kept telling me that I I could never bring Jay up by myself I would be a rubbish mum nobody else would ever want me I was fat and ugly and this this was continuous and but then the physical abuse started and again I don't I don't excuse Chris hitting me by any stretch of the imagination but what I do know is that I knew when it was coming because his face would change mm. and it, it was like a red mist coming over and I could have said the, the stupidest thing to him but it would be enough to set him off mm. um, but still still I stayed because I knew my Chris was in there and that that's probably my biggest regret I think that if I'd left when he first hit me then maybe things could have been different but then he attacked me in front of Jay and right. we'd found my limit at that point you had to draw a line yeah yeah I, I guess that's the thing isn't it there's so many things that you must replay in your mind and think oh if and if and if um but you know that it's when when you are able to look back it, it you know, there's so many different outcomes that would be alternative endings isn't there but you just never know how that would be no you don't and you know I left I left in the June of oh god 2015 so but we stayed in touch to start with and I encouraged Jay to phone daddy which he did um but then Chris he stopped answering phone calls um which and I I struggled to get to the bottom of it and actually I went in the February I drove up to Durham to get some of Jay's stuff and we me and Chris sat down and we had the longest heart to heart you know there was tears there was laughter but there was no shouting it mm. was it was like we were we were done with that side and you know I I saw that night I saw Chris and I had my best friend back um he asked me to get back with him which to me that part of my life was was done you know there was no going back from after what had happened um but I told him that I would always be there for him always you know we'd produce this wonderful child together and 
to me, we still had to be in contact to be able to co-parent. So I told him he could still have a relationship with Jay, that Jay still worshipped him. Um, so he promised me that that night in February that he was going to get help. And it felt like, I don't know, the Tower of London had been taken off my shoulders because I knew if he got the right help, we could get him back to Chris. Mm. Um, and he, he promised me that he would phone Jay and that he would sort of try to rebuild there. And come the August, we'd heard nothing. So I texted him to ask how counselling was going. Um, like Over that whole six months, there was just no sign of any no, progress nothing. on what he'd been promising you. No, yeah. we, we continued to try and phone and we text, but we were getting nothing back. Um, and I think by that point, you know, Jay had not put Chris to the back of his mind, but had accepted it was just me and him. And it's um, so, yeah, I got a text back in the August. Chris had started dating someone and he'd been told by them that if you ask for help, you'll look weak. Mm. And that all the way through that Chris was concerned he would look weak. So that would be the mm. one thing you could say to him where he would just disengage with everything. And no matter of convincing him would change his mind. And so that was the last time I ever spoke to him, which, you know, I'd, again, it's looking back in hindsight, should I have done more? Mm. But, you know, you can't force someone to get help. No. And no, that, not at all. that's the biggest thing in our story. You know, it took so long to convince him and to get him to that point where he was ready to ask for help. And then in one sentence, we were done. And then... 29th of November, Chris's stepbrother messaged me on Facebook um, and said, can I, can I give you a ring? And you know when something clicks in, because we, I used to speak to Graham all the time, but over Facebook Messenger, never on the phone. Um, but my first thought was that something could happen to Chris's dad, who we still have a really good relationship with. So I was like, oh, yeah, give me five minutes. And I went outside. We were in a flat at the time, so I had to go down and out. Um, left Jay watching TV. And then Graham told me that Chris had died. And I was like, right. And, you know, when you're told something like that and it doesn't necessarily sort of click in. Um, and I asked some questions and he told me that he'd taken his own life. And then it hit. I think the tears started. And my first thought was, I've got an eight-year-old sat inside. What do I do? Mm. Um, so I didn't speak to Graham for very long. But, um, you know, it, I think he was as shocked as I was. Yeah. Because there was, out of everything Chris had been through and he, all his PTSD and everything like that, I never, ever thought we would lose him like that. Never. Um. So then, of course, I mean, any parent will know you don't want to hurt your own child, do you? And also when they're hurt, you want to do everything you can to make it better. To actually have to sit your child down and say, you know, daddy's gone. And then, of course, the only thing he wanted was daddy. I think that was my lowest moment. For oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. 
having to communicate that with with Jay. And and he didn't get it. I I didn't think it. He knew that Daddy was gone. Um, but I'd, you know, I thought the best thing for him was to keep him in a routine. So we actually we went and stayed with my parents because we always revert back to your mum and dad, don't you, when things are going yeah. wrong. Well, that's lovely that you've got them as a yeah to be able to help out. Yeah. And mm. I mean, the relationship they have with Jay is absolutely awesome, which is good. Mm. So I I took Jay into school the next day, thinking. My first thought was I had so many phone calls to make. I had to tell people. So I thought it was best for him to be with his friends, doing what he normally would. But walking to school and Jay was asking questions. And I'd, I'd said that the police had found him. And that was how we found out. Um, so he said, well, if the police have seen daddy, does that mean they'll make him, make him phone me now? And then, of course, you've got to halfway to school and you're trying to explain well no but we got there and you know I had to explain I, well I didn't have to explain it this way but we'd lost our dog while we were in Germany and every night Jay used to say goodnight to Kai before he went to sleep so that's how I explained it with daddy and I think then you know it, it sunk in a mm. little bit it, it took some time but I mean those first couple of days were just horrendous but actually I have to say thank god for social media because I phoned a couple of people and then it it gets out there doesn't it yeah the hardest bit I found about social media was people changed their profile pictures to pictures of Chris which was lovely and I think a massive sign of respect but then you know your, your Facebook would ping so you'd look at something and then all of a sudden there's all these photos of Chris pictures. Oh, know. goodness. So, um, I mean, what an awful scenario to have to deal with and to talk through with an eight-year-old boy. Um, how, how have you turned that into where it is now? What's the process that you've gone through to get from, as you say, what was the lowest point of all of this to a situation where you're able to communicate what, what Jay has done and the positivity that he has and the, you know, he recalls the good things and the positive aspects of his father. And it's amazing. How, what, what's that journey been? I think because we grieved together. For the first few months, you know, I, I very much encouraged Jay to cry and to show him that there was nothing wrong with crying um mm. but I didn't cry in front of him to start with and I tried to hide my grief because I didn't want him to see mummy upset now that hit home when Jay stopped crying and it suddenly clicked in maybe he needs to see me cry and you know it, it was the most random thing we'd sit there and watch a film that Chris used to like and Jay would be laughing. And then I, I felt it was fine. Then I, I would sit there with tears streaming down my face. I think the older you get, the more memories that sort of are always there, mm. aren't they? Mm. And then that would make Jay laugh because I've, I've sat there watching a comedy crying. I mean, Jay has taught me so much throughout this process. I, I learned that it's fine to show my emotions in front of him. And therefore that helped him to grieve. 
it took a while because we would sit looking at photos or talking about memories and that would be so so hard but I felt it was something we had to do to sort of move on as such and now you know we talk about Chris and we laugh and joke mm. and, and Jay smiles when he he thinks about daddy he's still yeah. oh, dad he'll kill me for saying daddy when he's 14 of he's <laughs> he's still you know he remembers the bad the bad side of yeah. the PTSD but over the years I think because we've we've had so many discussions about mental health and how it is a brain injury then he gets it somewhat he gets why Chris did some of the things he did and it's taught him life lessons he knows you don't hit a woman mm. and it's and just things like that and it's taught him things about drinking alcohol to excess and how it can make you change your behavior so we I always told Jay I would never ever lie to him and so I've been honest with him from day one there are certain things that I've left out of what's gone on but then even then I've told him you know when he gets to an age that he can understand it then I will sit him down and tell him but honestly, I think we've got to the point from where we were that night when I had to tell Jay to where we are now. We've got there because we've given each other strength. And it's I always say that Jay is the only person that can make me smile when I'm grumpy. And it's because of that bond we've got that we've we've been able to do everything that we've done. It sounds to me like a, you've, you've effectively gone at it as a team. Um, rather than deal with it individually, you really work together. Uh, just because I suppose you've had to, um, that's been the only way you could deal with it. I think so. And although, you know, because I've told my parents some of the things that have gone on and mums, me, my mum and I are really, really close mm. and she knew things weren't right for a long time when we were still together. Um, but actually, because... Jay and I are the only two left that knew exactly what it was like when that front door shut. I think that's created a bond like no mm. other. Mm. It's, but he's my little partner in crime as well. So. Oh, yeah. And I guess in some ways, he's as a result of this, he's had to grow up and he's probably more mature than all the other dads around because of what he's gone through. Yeah, but he's older, he's smarter and wiser, not older, smarter and wiser as a result of that. Yeah, he's, he's got a very old head on very young shoulders, <laughs> I think. And, you know, and I, I encourage him to be a teenager mm. against my better judgment. Yeah, so, yeah. So, and he is, he is a typical teenager, but sometimes he'll come out with something. And it's, I always remember when he was 10 and we, I was taking him to a sports club. And we were talking about Chris on the way. And Jay suddenly piped up and said, you know, maybe daddy did it so that he didn't hurt us anymore. And it's just that insight. Mm. It's something I wouldn't have thought of. Definitely not. But. Yeah. So um, how did you come to the conclusion that with the things that you were doing, that actually putting a book together would would help? very selfish reasons I did it for my own therapy I wanted to get it out of my head onto paper and 
I found it really, really therapeutic to actually write it because as I was writing it, different memories came back and it was, that was why I wrote it in the first place. And then a friend wanted to read it. So I sent it to her and she told me if I didn't get it published, she would take it as her own and get it published. So <laughs> it was, and then we had a two year delay because I just sort of, when COVID hit, I put it on the back burner. So, but then I was told by said friend again that I needed to get my bottom in gear, we'll say. <laughs> and, the, and then, yeah, so I self-published in the end because I spoke to a few publishers and I was very conscious that it's our story. Yes. And I wanted it told in, yeah, all right, my, my writing skills are not great by any stretch of the imagination but it was written from my heart and about our lives so I was very conscious I didn't want it changed and I found that's what publishers wanted to do I don't know if they want to make it more sort of explosive but so I decided to self-publish so just on that how do, how can people get hold of the of the book while we're talking about the book um, so it's on Amazon it's called living our lives but if you put Mandy Small into the search bar, it's the first thing that comes up. Very and good. it's available in paperback and Kindle. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's just go back a bit, because obviously that contains not only the things that we've just been discussing, but also the progress that, that Jay has made since. And let's just talk about some of those amazing things that he's been doing, because, as we said, that's that's really central to all of this, how he's grown and 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 as you know is drawing the positives that he can from all of that yeah I mean, his journey started watching the pride of britain so there was i think a teenager on there that had raised money for a charity that had supported him when he was ill so we've been supported since day one by um the forces charity sapper and jay came to the conclusion that he could raise the money for sapper to say thank you um, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course you can. I said, you're going to have to come up with the ideas. So he wanted to do a, a small fun day. And it came about, I, we were trying to find a venue. And he'd said to me, oh, we can hold it at school. I said, well, I need to speak to the headmistress. So Jay went off and spoke to the headmistress, as you do. Um, so, yeah, so it was going to be very small. He wanted a barbecue, some inflatables and a cake stand. That was where it all started. Then Jay found himself on the local news and local radio station um, and charmed everyone he spoke to, I have to say. And this, this, I mean, remember he was 10 years old when he did this and it went massive. It was, his first aim was to raise 200 pounds. And I think, at the end, when all the donations had stopped coming in, he raised just under £7,000, which was absolutely amazing. Exhausting, but amazing. I'm sure. <laughs> off the back of that, he won a local award with Raising the Bar um, for the most inspirational under 12-year-old in Suffolk, which I thought that, that's where it's going to, you know, he's, he's had some amazing recognition and that's awesome, which isn't why he does it, but it's it's just... A cherry on the cake isn't that and then I got an email to say he was a 
finalist in a in the Soldier and Honor Awards, which is a national award. Um, sort of, it's aimed around the forces community and veterans. Um, so he was in the Family Values final. Life just changed then. So he there was newspapers, TV, radio. Um, we went to the House of Lords for a finalist reception, wow. as you do, you know. It's, <laughs> so you've got this little 10-year-old running around with like adults that have done amazing things. But that was but they all took to Jay and it was it was amazing and he did so well. Um then we had to go to London for the final of that, um, which was a very emotional night when his name got read out. And there, there wasn't a dry eye in the in the building. I mean, it, no, I'm sure. And Jay broke down on stage because I think it just, you know, he just turned eleven, and it was just huge. But happy tears, I think, especially when yeah. he got a signed Liverpool shirt. That was that was probably the highlight of his night. Then he got invited to Manchester to make a short film with Anthony Cotton from Coronation Street. I mean, those two are thick as thieves. I mean, Anthony is great with the forces anyway, but he was amazing with Jay. We then went into lockdown. So Jay decided that charities weren't going to get as much money. So he did, throughout lockdown, he made some VE Day t-shirts with his own design. Um, he did poppy pictures, which he sold. So that all started to add up. Um, he had a couple of auctions where he secured sort of nice pictures. And then I ran that on Twitter for him. Then life went down a different route because Jay was at high school and he was getting bullied for how his dad died. No. Um, and, you know, that when it was just words and sort of pushing and shoving, that was bad enough. And the school were fantastic. Don't get me wrong, they were, they've been really, really good with him. Um, but then Jay got physically assaulted in town. Um, so the police got involved, who have been great. The Jay then wasn't this bubbly, I want to do everything to help. He he changed somewhat. But then a bullying workshop came into the school. And this, this is where I know how special Jay is. He stood up in front of his whole peer group and told them all how the bullying made him feel and mm. how his dad was a hero and how he wasn't going to go and do what his dad had done again he managed to reduce people to tears but the bullying stopped you know and he, he came home and he said oh people kept saying how brave I was and he said I'm sick of people saying how brave I am and I was like but do you know what I said you, you wouldn't get adults that could stand up and talk about their feelings like that and actually I think that's come from learning over the last few years that you have to you have to talk about it but the one thing I did miss out also, he did a suicide prevention video with the army. I'm not sure how I forgot that because that went viral, which he thinks is fantastic. It means nothing mm -hmm. to me. But to a teenager, to have gone viral on the internet is apparently amazing. But in that, he talked about sort of, he's very open and it does reduce people to tears. Sometimes that's what's needed, I think. And I think that's the issue that, you know, the headline is that someone's taken their life. What you don't understand is everything that's happened before that, what a family has gone through, and sadly, what the family continues to go through afterwards. And the bullying is 
sickening, but probably something that is happening to a lot of people who've gone through similar experiences in their family. Very much so. I mean, with Jay's now a member of Scotty's Little Soldiers, which helps the children of soldiers that have died either in service or after their service. Um, and there was actually a post in there saying somebody's child was being bullied and there was about 50 comments underneath my child's going through the same and it's it's just horrendous I mean my dad summed it up he said when we were all kids if someone's parent died you were supportive oh you yeah you didn't use it as a chance to try and bring them down but actually the bullying led Jay on to his latest fundraising so he's doing a fun day in at the end of May at Woodbridge Football Club um, but he's raising for Safra again, um, Scotty's Little Soldiers and Hidden Warriors who helped Jay out with his karate. It's another fun day and then there's a big football match. So we've got people like Mark Bright coming along, which people of our age will know who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Former Crystal Palace. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, and that's to raise awareness around what the free charities do around Amazing. mental health. And actually, just so people can go, you can go out and you can have fun, which we all need after COVID. But there's a message along with it. So, and mm. he's already raised nearly four thousand pounds. Oh my word! And we're still a month or oh, five weeks away from the event. Yeah, he's just doing an amazing job. Yeah, I mean, his feelings behind that were when when the bullying sort of came to a head, and he said to me, "You know, people still don't understand; they don't get it." And that, that's where this idea came from for him, because he, mm. you know, he'd, he'd gone quite quiet, which is fine. That's his choice. Everything he does is his choice. Mm. Um, but he was like that, you know, we need to keep pushing the message, Mum. And I was like, well, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have the sun out and it will go well. Um, um, what date is that again? Uh, that's the 22nd of May. That's amazing. But Mandy, I, I, I'm sure we could talk. Um, lots and lots more about all the you know the other experiences that you've gone through the lessons that you've learned but to me just the um the awareness I mean in Suffolk we have lots of forces people around us and just to be mindful of the fact that they are perhaps carrying experiences with them that none of us would ever want to deal with and just uh, to be mindful of that and to be aware of that and to help where we can be as understanding as we can that's that's a really challenging message it's and and it's important to remember that it's not just veterans that get ptsd you know and and we all have mental health it's just some people's is good and some people's is bad i always go back to that if you break your leg people swarm around you they help with everything but as soon as you say you're struggling with your mental health people disappear well it's not contagious and actually it is still just an injury you know sometimes all we need I, I still suffer with mine I was diagnosed with PTSD when, when I came home from Iraq and sometimes I just need to offload and then I'm, I'm all set to go again and it's fine my biggest message will be if somebody approaches you and they want to talk then please just listen to them because sometimes mm. that's all it takes there's lots of forces charities out there obviously you've, you've got things like walking with the wounded you've got SAFA the RBL if they can't help they will embed you with other services. If you go on Google and put in Op Courage, then it brings up all the phone numbers for TILS, for the high intensity service. Um, and it, it's so important. 
I think that that we get people further up the river. It's too many people are going into crisis and it, it's very hard to get people back out of crisis again. We need to be sorting the problem before it gets too bad. But people won't ask for help while there's still stigma because they're worried about the reaction they'll get. But to me, to actually raise your head above water and say that you're struggling makes you the strongest person in the world. Absolutely. Mandy, that's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. And please pass on our thanks to Jay for all that he's doing. Um, we should just flag up that it is the school holiday, so there's no reason why you should be seeing him. <laughs> so uh, bless him, he needs his downtime just as much as anybody else. So um, it has been brilliant to catch up with you and understand all that you've gone through and all that you and Jay have done um, to respond to that in such a positive way. Thank you very much for having us on and I hope to see you all at the fun day. So I'm indebted to Mandy for her time in recording this and being so open about such a difficult subject and a difficult time that uh, she has gone through with Jay. But again, we just wish them all the best as they make uh, such great progress in helping others and raising awareness of these huge issues. Thank you for listening to the Southwark Money podcast this week, which is supported by Kingsfleet Wealth. Please do subscribe to the podcast provider of your choice, uh, because this will always ensure that the latest one is available to you. And if you do uh, give feedback, then please, if you can, give us a five-star rating. It just helps others find us. I'm indebted to Joy Day for the wordsmith activity that Joy does in making uh, our website presence um, easy to read uh, and for the visuals, but also to Sally Birch and to Kevin Birch for their work in booking speakers and producing and editing uh, the output that we put together. I hope you'll be able to join us next time on the Suffolk Money Podcast. <laughs>